Hello and welcome to the Comedians Outlook. I'm Luke Anthony and for this episode I was joined by Danny Mark. He is one of the Glass Eye Boys, but first and foremost he is a comedian and a writer. And in this episode we speak about his comedy, his journey, his family, all about his life. It's a really interesting conversation. As you know, he's already been on the podcast with the other two guys together, Louis Green and Aaron Jay. And I want to play a short clip now of him in the episode explaining how he got into comedy. Listen to this. Danny, how did you guys meet and how did Glass Eye Comedy uh, start? Um, I met Green first, Louis Green first. We went to high school together. Well, you're American. What? What, you're American? High school? High school. Does what you call them in the other thing? I didn't think we had a high school in the UK. It was secondary school. Oh, Oh, we're not from Cambridge. Yeah, but he is scum. He likes to call it high school because he always refers to himself about how much he looks like Zac Efron as well. So. Right, I see, I see, yeah. Especially in the Ted Bundy, you know, <laughs> a lot of behaves like movies. him, looks like him. Well, this is going well. <laughs> um, you so, know, so you and Louis went to school together? Yeah, we went to school together. Um, finished school, didn't see each other for a few years, did we? Nope. Naturally. Naturally. Um, life just got in the way, met back up. Few life circumstances had had happened in the, the time, and now we said you. We always said we want to do comedy, so me and him started done a gig in my mum's back garden. Took her from there. Really, we we got a night in a local pub, ran a night there, and Aaron came along to the first night there. Yeah, and just muscled his way in. Really. So that's him explaining how we got into comedy, but I really wanted to get into the depths of why he got into comedy. And this will become quickly apparent in this episode. It's a very interesting story that he has. And just before we jump into the episode, I'm going to play a couple of little testimonies from Aaron Jay and Louis Green. Listen to these. Okay. And uh, for Danny. I love that boy to bits and I really do. And I wouldn't have started if it wasn't for him. So like, thank you, Danny. And sort your dress sense out. That's, that's my one for Danny. Definitely. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, I love you. You're a good guy. But for crying out loud, man, get yourself some new shoes. That's just a short message from Aaron Jay and Louis Green. A nice little bit of banter there. But this episode is all about you, mate. So please welcome to the show the wonderful, the amazing, the excellent Danny Mark. Aaron's had some uh, words for you, mate, just for your podcast, a bit of word of support. And now you're doing it on your own, this podcast. You're saying that you need a new pair of shoes that you just heard. Yeah. That was, um, it's not wrong though. I do need a new pair of shoes. My my shoes are awful. As you'll hear if you hear my set. Okay. So is that a bit you're doing now? Yeah, I do a little bit about having shit shoes. And I think he's taking a piss out of me, to be honest with you. I think that's what he's doing there. I think he's been quite clever about it, but it's a little subliminal message for me, I think. So. Okay. And that was clever. Well, as clever as Aaron gets. Okay. All right, well, how, how how many gigs are you away from a new pair of shoes? Well, the way it's going at the moment, mate, about 20. <laughs> now, nah, it's, it's it's one of them things, isn't it? Like, I just think shoes are a, a, a big expense. There are, better, there are better ways for me to spend my money, so I'd rather have shit shoes. But Well, I noticed when you came in, um, you took your shoes off. And the fact that you've got shit shoes that are potentially, I'm not saying they have, but potentially got holes in that there'd be stagnant water and all sorts of infections that could get in there. And you're just walking around with your, your ripped socks. My oh, socks athletes, are not athletes, ripped. Athlete's foot all and around my house. you looking at my medical records. <laughs> well, you know. It's really... To be fair, they're my running shoes. They haven't got any holes in them. They're, ones. they're, they're my driving shoes. As... They're running shoes that I used to drive in. How, that's the definition of laziness, isn't it, if we're honest? Yeah, I almost beat you to your punchline there. <laughs> <laughs> um 
All right, mate. So, how is so? You know, the last the last episode we had all three of you together, and and now you know, Louis gave me a couple of quid to get you guys on separately. <laughs> um, so here you are. How how's it been going? Yeah, it's been going well. Yeah, I got up to hundred gigs last year, and that was the target. Well, the target was fifty two. I wanted to do one a week, but I done over a hundred in the ends. Um, put together a show, done a preview at the beginning of this year, so it's all fallen into place quite nicely. Quite happy with it, yeah. Quite very happy with last year. This year's going to be even better. This is your that last year was your second year. Was that it? was my second, yeah, second year, yeah. Okay, second year. Okay, and and how are you finding like gigging separately from from the two lads? It was good. It's 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 made me. I think it's made me a bit more independent. Um, but the kind of quality bills we're getting on now because we have kind of got better as we've gone along. So we're not going on to open mic bills where there's ten comedians anymore. We're going on to bills where there's only two three middle spots so we can't we just we're too similar in style to get on the same bill um <laughs> i wouldn't say that well <laughs> i wouldn't say because uh aaron says you're not too similar we're not too similar in style but i think like there's a big thing at the moment about all male lineups and things and i think when all three of us are the same age ish um and all, all kind of men i think that we, we struggle to get on the same bills um but the, it's it's great because it it opens your eyes to other comedians and you see other comedians, you learn things and you get into these experiences that you would never have got in before. Like I, I, I gigged with Andrew Lawrence last year and just watching someone of that standard, really, you, you don't realise how much you learn until you see them doing it. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, I mean, we're all friends with um, Jason Stamp, who's, who's one of the best that you know, we see regularly in this sort of area. And he was saying that when he, he he thinks he's doing really well. He does his MCs. He smashes everyone's gigs in East Anglia. And then he goes on a bill with someone like Dane Baptiste or, or Nigel Lung or someone like that who are now proper pros, like they're at the top end. And they just come on and, and he always feels like he's slightly, even he feels like he's not good enough sometimes where he just like, oh, fucking hell, I thought I was doing amazing. And he goes on a bill with them and they smash the bollocks off it and get massive, you know, huge applause breaks and last they build and build and build. It's um. It feels like you can never get good enough in this game. Yeah, no, definitely. And and I think like for Jason to say that as like a regular closer around our, you know, he's he, like you say, he's gig gigs everywhere. And I think for him to say that, and he's been doing it nine years, and I just think that that makes me realise how much there is to, to still learn. You never stop learning doing this, do you? So it is like I've done a gig with Norman Lover, and it was surreal because I'd seen him on TV. And, yeah, and then he was walk, stood yeah. in front of me, and I, I I couldn't believe that I was there watching him, let alone performing on the same bill as him. Um, but it's, it's them experience that kind of make you, isn't it? It's them ones you, that you learn the most from, and it's them opportunities that, like I said, just to have that five minute chat with people like Andrew Lawrence or or Norman Lovett, and just to see if they've got any piece of advice. It all kind of all goes in, all goes in, and it comes out and goes into my act. And I'm hoping that I'm seeing the kind of benefits of of taking them higher level gigs now. It's, it's good though that you're in a place that you. You take those sort of seeing that because sometimes they can be slightly demoralizing. You think, ah, oh, really? I thought I was doing well, and then I'm not. I'm still not good enough. I don't feel like I'm good enough. But it seems that like you have a little sort of a positive spin on it, and actually you use it to to help better better yourself and, and better yourself. Yeah, it does make me realise that I've still got a long way to go, but I don't see it as a, a negative. Definitely not. Um, the thing I struggle with is having having a bad gig. That's when I think, oh, do I want to do this? Um, Last year I had I had a gig and it was in front of 60, 60 people, so it was quite a full room. And I, th- I when I got there I thought oh this could be quite a nice, easy gig. Because a lot of people, because I think 
when you've got more people there, the percentage of people you have to make laugh is less because laughter is infectious, isn't it? So I've done gigs before to six people and it's been really tough because there's only six people in there. And when there's like 10 times that many people, I just think, oh, it's going to be brilliant. Went on stage, done one of my strongest jokes and where the punchline is, and I'd usually get a laugh, I was met with absolute stone cold silence, except for one lady on the front row who was about 60. Um, and all she'd done was just gasp in horror. And I, 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 at first, the first kind of week of that, after that, I thought, is it me? Is that a problem with me? Was it my act? Have I, you know, am I that bad? And then after the kind of, after I'd licked my wounds and it, it healed a bit, I, I saw it as a success. I thought, well, okay, I've, I've got a reaction. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's something, but I, I it's reading the room, isn't it? I'm still only two years in and I can't, I can't hit every gig on, on I can't nail every gig. Yeah. Could you... You plan quite a lot, you know. You know beforehand when you go before you go on stage, you 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 really do sort of write your stuff before you go on, don't you? Yeah, yeah. I the way I try and write <clears> is <throat> it makes it so much. So I make so much more work for myself because I'll get an idea and then I'll 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 write it out and then I'll script it out and it'll be almost word for word and then I'll work out where all the punchlines are and then I'll try and strip it back to just prompt words so that I get the idea of where it's going. I know where the punchlines are going and then I try and get it so it's not so scripted and it's more kind of conversational um but that does it's almost like writing the same joke three times every time because you've got to build it up and then build it back down again but that's just just what works for me i think it's quite common though i think that i think a lot of comedians yeah i certainly write stuff out and then i get annoyed that i've written it out because i know that i'm just gonna i'm never gonna remember all of it yeah Um, i think that's a big problem i think the other thing as well is sometimes things look a lot funnier on paper than they do when they're said and i think I've been caught out by that a few times. I've got a joke that on paper, if I put it on Facebook or something like that, it'll get get a good reaction. But if I was to say it out loud, um, it's it's died died in its hole. So, what do you think that is? Do you think that's the joke itself? Well, I mean, it's different every time, I guess. But is that usually the joke itself, or do you think that you've your the way your your uncertainty with that material is yeah, what's I come th- across? Yeah, I think it's that. I think I don't think I'm 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 quite. I'm very confident with my strong material, but when it comes to doing new material, I'm not very confident doing it because at least you're at least you're aware that that you know you have that uncertainty. So so with with that with the new material, do you know that you have to try a few times before you're sure of saying it out loud, or do you give up on it straight away? With my new material, if I write a joke and I think it's a good joke and it's quite funny and I do it, and it doesn't land. I'll try it another couple of times, and if it still doesn't land how it is, then I'll think, right, well, why isn't that landing? Can I reword it? Is there a way to shorten it? Is there a line in there I don't need? Is there a line I can add in? Um, and if there's nothing I can do there, then I just kind of throw it away, to be honest with you, because I think if it doesn't work on stage, and I've tried it four, five times, then it's not going to work. Because I've noticed with you, you I whenever I, well, I, I it might be the gigs that we're, the certain gigs we've done together but you often are trying new material because you're quite you get you get floods of you get constant um like inspiration to write you get funny things hit you and you you want to write about them so you're always wanting to try new stuff do you do you have to try and stop yourself from doing that too often i don't try and stop myself i've got so many notebooks at home i think my missus is so fed up of it to be honest with you i think i'm definitely or i definitely was a writer first and a comedian second i i i love writing and that's what I was good at to start with. I had to almost learn the performance side of it. Um, and when we first, when I first started out with Louis two years ago, he was almost the polar opposite. He was so good at the performing 
he could read a phone book and make it sound funny, whereas he struggled a bit more with the writing than I did. Um, so we quite complimented each other quite well, and I've learned a lot from him from that. And he's, it's the comedians in this area, they're all so friendly, and you get so many tips from them. Um, when you're doing new material, quite often Aaron or Louis or another comedian here will say, oh, if you thought about adding this to your joke, and their input is just as valuable as mine. They're, they're in the trade as well. They know what would work, what wouldn't work. So, so getting a second pair of eyes over material as well, especially new material. Um, so I, I, yeah, I keep all of my material. I keep it all in books. Go back through it every couple of months and see if there's anything I've missed out, or I try not to throw anything away. So you don't mind doing the same stuff over and over. Like you don't mind going to stuff that you wrote six months ago, a year ago. Because I. For me personally, I, I I get bored of it really quickly. Like the new idea, the best part of a new idea is the new bit. When yeah. you first write it down, you're like, or you, you know, it comes to you like organically, and then you you write a bit on it, and then you do it, and then it works. I mean, I I get I get tired quite quickly with um with material. Yeah, I'm getting to that stage where with my set at the moment, I've got, I've got a ten minute set that I use, and and when I'm doing like a, a pro gig, but it's got to the point where I've been doing it now for best part of two years or build, building that for the best part of two years and I'm so bored of it so when I get all these new ideas it's it's exciting but quite often I find that my new ideas will be very different ideas so I'll get an idea one day about one subject and I'll get an idea the second day about another subject and I just they're so far away from each other that it's hard to find the link so I just have to kind of wait for them to accumulate till I can kind of say right well that links up to that bit that links up to that bit and, and try and piece them together I think one of the things I've noticed with doing material and on new material and, and doing bits and being on stages is really a lot of it's more if you're gigging regularly and a lot and you bring in new material then you've got the the tools to to make it work and sometimes it won't work because it's just not funny but you you, you can get over it quicker um i just find i've when i first started i was trying to start i've abandoned stuff that i did really early on that i know i could probably make work a bit better now purely because I'm I'm a bit more comfortable on the stage. Did you find that with like your material? Like some of the stuff I heard you do originally, early on, I haven't heard you done recently, but I just wonder if... if yeah, no, about- yeah. There's a, there's a particular joke I've written, and it's one of the longest jokes I've written. It's probably about five minutes long by itself. And I love it. I love that joke. It's one of my favourite jokes I've ever written. But it just doesn't really get the reaction I want on stage. And that's what I look at all the time. I go back to it and I think, well, I haven't done it for six months. Maybe if I go over it with a fresh pair of eyes, because I, I, I cannot say enough how much I love that joke. It's like the best thing I've ever written. But to, that's to me, isn't it? Comedy is so kind of subjective. So I was just trying to kind of find a way to make that work in any room. Um, But yeah, I haven't done that bit in, in, in over a year, but I still, like I say, I still visit that every two, three months. You said that, you know, comedy is subjective, but... Sarah Millican, a uh, great comedian, very good at what she does. Mm, I've seen everyone knows who she is. Yeah. And she said uh, one of the questions that she regularly gets asked is, "Who is your favorite comedian?" And she always answers myself because if I'm not my favorite comedian, then then I'm not good enough. I yeah. should be the funniest I could be. I should do all the stuff that I find the funniest because someone out there will also find it funny. So regardless of what happens, just the law of average that you'll find yeah. the audience that will find that funny. And she said that the trouble is that you know, you've, you know, you've done good stuff when someone else tells you one of your jokes, like years later that you told originally and you laugh out loud as if it was their joke and actually realize it's your Plus, own joke. That's deep, isn't it? From Sarah. Yeah. I've never thought of it like that. Yeah. 
James Acast had done something different. He he um he had a joke that <clears throat> he had a joke that he really liked, and he'd done it around the country, and he said that it died in every single room he'd done it in. But he just he loved it. It was his favourite joke, so he kept it in a set, and then obviously shot to stardom and found his audience. And now that joke kills every time he does it. But he said he must have done it hundreds of times and it just fall flat but he just kept it in and he knew it was a good joke he loved it it was his style of humor he'll keep it till he needs it his 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 way his persona and the way he presented himself with that that kind of flippancy and and um whimsical attitude mm. that he has and sometimes a contempt for the audience that he'll point blank insult them in his whimsical way like flippant way but it's the sort of thing that you'd really he struggled for probably nine years ten years of that never working in clubs, not working on the open mic. So any of this, just him, his persona. He's now, almost a definition of finding his audience, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. a very particular audience. He's yeah. very, there's not many people like him at all. And it took him that, yeah, like you say, it took him that long to, to get that appreciation. He must've worked really hard. And, Cause that's hard when you go to do a gig and you've got this material you believe in and it doesn't land. It's hard when it happens once, let alone if you've got this joke that you love and it's happening night after night after night after night. You've got to have some resilience, haven't you? So yeah, that's a good little segue to to you. So you did that your workshop and so your your uh, preview with with Aaron and yeah. you had, um, Louis emceed it. Now you speak about this joke that you've tried on shorter sets, right? Did you find it easier? Did you did you do you think that now you're doing you've done that longer set, you'd be able to get people on board with that material over a longer period of time so then they've got the right frame of mind to receive it see where my mind is with that particular joke is it's about five minutes longer than mine, but i think that's the problem i think it's too long i think if anything that's i lose i might lose people a little bit because it's going on a little bit so i think if anything i need to trim it down the thing about doing my preview was it was it was good to stand on a stage and just see how long i could talk for because like that was the first test, really. That was it. Like the material, it was okay. Some of it landed, some of it didn't. It was a learning curve. I know what I need to do with it. I know what tweaks need to be made. So it was it was really um, helpful to me. But it was it was more about just seeing if I could do it. It's, it's a big step going from doing a ten to a twenty to trying to do forty plus minutes. Um, and the longest set I'd done before that was just twenty five minutes, maybe twenty twenty five minutes. So so it was more about just just pushing myself to do that really so in prep for that one of the things that daunts me about that is is like you say that literally just speaking for 40 minutes and if you lose your way on a 40 minute set either you need to have a whole load of other stuff to you know to bring yourself back to yeah. place to, to continue as you go <clears throat> because you do tell stories mm. and so are you i just because a story can take a time to to build so how, how much material do you have to write and de- how much density do you have to write with, with like punchlines to do your 40 minute set? Or are you happy to just get the silence for three minutes and then hit him with a hard punchline? See, so in my preview, it's more like, um, at the moment, it's a presentation. Um, so it's, it's just, it's, I basically take a look through a job interview I went through and I take the, the audience through it. So each slide, there's about, I think there's 45 slides at the moment. And each slide I try and have three good punchlines in there and maybe two or three toppers on there. Um, but what I learned <clears throat> doing the preview was that I'd put all the content on the slide almost because I didn't trust myself to remember it. Um, and so the slides were almost over, over full 
And that was almost drawing people's attention away from me because they were too busy trying to read the slide rather than listen to what I was saying. Um, so that that that's that's what I've gone away and changed. Really, I've taken all the content off the slides. I thought, right, you need to trust yourself. Um, you know the material you've written it. You know what the punchlines are. Just trust yourself. <laughs> and how much have you self pleased yourself after that? So how much have you like trimmed it down, like the flabby bits? Yeah, I've cut. I've, well, I cut a few slides out completely because I didn't think they were funny enough, and I thought I could probably get funnier material in there. Um, I've looked at the actual presentation and I've taken all the text out really, so that if I'm saying it, I don't think they need to read it. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's where I'm up to at the moment. I mean, I'm not quite finished with it; it's still not where I want it to be, but it's it's certainly getting there. But you're happy with the content. You're happy with the jokes uh, in there. Yeah, I love the content. I think it's I think it's good. I think it's quite different as well. It's it's something a little bit fun, not not anything too too filthy. <laughs> okay, you <laughs> just had to put a caveat. That yeah, just, just uh, have a caveat. It's it's weird because I've written some quite clean material and it doesn't come from me very often. <laughs> okay, he's just he's just saying that he, he can do versatile man. family gigs. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. family gigs. But how do you how do you practice for a gig for for a set like that when you need like a slideshow for it? The th- see, the thing is, I am really bad at winging it. I've always just kind of winged it. But with that, I did practice. That was the first time I've done something where I thought, right, I actually need to sit down and go through this a few times. I need to know what I'm saying, and that's why I'm a little bit disappointed in myself for overloading the slides because I think I, I know I did know it, and I know. I've written this material. It's been taking me a year to write this, so I definitely know the order. I know the punchlines. I, I know it so well that I did let myself down a little bit by giving people an easy distraction. Um, but yeah, happy with it. Really happy with it. I'm, I'm, it's, it's. I think it's strong. <laughs> I liked it. <clears throat> I'll get. I'll get the uh, other glass eye boys to. Uh, I was going to say they to might com- tell you something completely different to confirm but- that. Um, the oh, next episode is, is Louis, so I'm sure, I'm sure we'll see what he has to say about that. Being the MC, the master of ceremonies. Yeah, I think he has got a few. Fe- to be fair, Louis gave me some great feedback after that. He called me up the next day and he told me what he thought. And that's that's one thing I do appreciate from, from both Aaron and from Louis. Although they're my mates, they don't butter things up. They'll tell me what's wrong and I'll do the same to them. If, they, if they've got, if they send me a joke and it's not very good, I'll say that's not very good. And they'll do the same for me. And you, and you need that kind of honesty from someone and I'm lucky enough to have it from two people. So he was, he was great that day. And the missus obviously. And the missus of course. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of going to drop that in there just in case you get a headache for this. (laughs) Um, Does she listen to anything you do? Does she listen to the stuff you do? Yeah. She listens to, she struggles to get out to the gigs because we've got the kids. Um, But she's really supportive with like listening, like when I'm on the radio and when I'm doing, doing podcasts or anything like that, she'll always listen then. And she, I know she'd love to come to more gigs, but it's just someone's got to, Stay with the kids, didn't they? That's actually jogged my memory for something I really wanted to ask you because a lot of comedians are get into a relationship before either, I'm sorry, after they're, they're doing comedy. So the so the so this, the standard set straight away, you know, the expectation set that you're going to be out gigging, you're going to be away from home and all that sort of stuff. You you're in a slightly different situation where you started comedy having been in a relationship and already having children. Yeah. So how do you manage that? Because I, I, you know, I met, I, I started comedy after meeting my partner as well. So, and he it, it has his challenges because it was, there were never the expectation beforehand. 
Yeah, I think yeah, I think it was a bit of a shock to the system when I said I was going to do it. She, I mean, I've got to say she is the most supportive person. She's really good. She doesn't ever try and hold me back in any way. She is so behind me. But I think sometimes it is a little bit of a shock how often I can be out for the evening. Um, and I think it's important. I, I like I won't take. I will never take like seven gigs a week because I think it's important for us to have them couple of days because like beforehand I didn't really do an awful lot anyway so I think it's gone from having me there all the time to having me there that like I might be out through it like this this week I'm out four 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 nights out of the, out of the seven so it's a big change for her but she's never once suggested that I should cut back or slow down or she's never said anything negative about my comedy she's the only thing she's ever done to support me she's wonderful to be fair I think it was it was a Billy Connolly quote quite recently where he was talking about um, his relationship with Pamela Stevenson. I think it's Pamela Stevenson. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think it is, yeah. Um, you can email me at podcast at lukeanthony <laughs> I don't give a shit. I'm not gonna, I don't want anyone to email me. It's never good news. <laughs> no, you haven't got the gig. You're a prick. Um, yeah, that's a staple of my life. Now, he had said that one of the things that he found questions is always like the fact that he was around traveling and being away, but he always said that it was about the time that they had together. So if he was out gigging, he'd be out gigging and that'd be fine. He'd be out traveling, doing the stuff he had to do to, to put food on the table. But when it came to the time that they were together, nothing distracted from it. You know, there were no phones on, there was no distractions. It was just pure relationship. Do you, do you find that a struggle to, to switch off from your comedy head when you're in those moments with your family. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that maybe <clears throat> my girlfriend, my, well, she's my fiance now. She's, um, congratulations. Thank you very much. That was, um, yeah. Don't yeah. cry. No, I'm not going <laughs> to. She's, um, she's probably got more of a problem with that aspect of it than she has with the traveling. Cause at least with the traveling, I book it in advance, but like the way that gigs are booked nowadays, you've got to be quick and you've got to be on it. So I've got notifications set up on my phone of all the Facebook groups so that when a post comes up, I can give it a look and if it's a gig or what I apply for, I'll go for it. And that does mean I'm on my phone quite a lot just because it, it, you you know how many how many gigs go on there a day. Um, and I think that part frustrates her because I feel like sometimes she thinks I'm in the room, but I'm not in the room. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that is, she, 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 she struggles with that a lot more than she struggles with me going out. Cause like I say, she knows if I book a gig, it's very rare that I'll take a gig on the same day it is. It'll always be a couple of days in advance um, or a couple of weeks in advance. So she, she knows she can see the calendar, but when I'm there and she'll be talking to me and a gig comes through or something like that, and I say, Oh, I've just got to quickly apply for this or I've just got to take this phone call. I think she's a bit like, Oh, come on. And that's something I, I can totally understand why as well. You know I mean? I'd probably feel the same as the other way around because it does feel like I am always on my phone looking for the next gig. <laughs> Well, yeah. The other thing is that you're trying to make a living out of it, so you that need is to it do as it. well, isn't it? And I think she does know that as well. She does, she does know that it's a long road, but I'm I'm firmly on it. So I think she gives she 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 never says anything, but I can just tell sometimes that she's just a little bit. I think she'd like me to be a little bit more there. <laughs> okay, there when I'm there. <laughs> so do you do you find do you allocate time for that though? Do you say okay, I'm not going to apply for any gigs between this time and this time. And that's it, or you just yeah. I tend to I tend to wind down of the of the evening time, uh, especially like when the kids have gone to bed. We'll sit down. And we're, we're quite good for like um, binge watching something on Netflix. So we'll always have a series on the go, and it's nice because we've got something. I mean, it's not obviously we've got lots to talk about, but 
it will give us something that only me and her have done together for that for that period of time. So we, we we make time. We try and make time every day for an episode of something or a film. So that's good. That's good. Has she she's tried comedy herself? No, it's not going to happen. No, I don't think it would. No, she makes me laugh. Mm. I think she's really funny, but I think I think she'd be quite. I think it'd be quite intimidating for her to get up there and do it in front of people. I should have loads of material there because she's like with the kids and stuff like that. She could probably feed you quite a lot of material. Yeah, she, to be fair, she gives she's given me some 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 good ideas for jokes that I do use on stage. She she's she's often given me like little things that have happened during the day and little stories that the kids have done and my my kids have done some some things. I tell you, <laughs> okay, without without explaining that, it sounds really dodgy. <laughs> uh, so the other day we woke up and my little girl, she's four. She was in her room and as far as we knew, she'd been in bed all night and we went in there and her face was completely like brown and we thought, what what has she done? Turned out that she'd woken up in the middle of the night, snuck downstairs, uh, stole a whole box of muffins, uh, chocolate muffins, put them under her bed and had gorged on them all night and and actually gave one to her one-year-old sister. So oh, came my daughter. The, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know what I was more angry about. I think I was more angry about the fact that she's stolen my muffins than the <laughs> yeah, fact that exactly, she'd... Yeah, 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 of course. They're my fucking muffins. Do you know, I'm, I'm writing stuff at the moment about that where, you know, like that 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 one shelf in the fridge that is dad's, dad's shelf. There's always it. Like, my dad had it, and now I've got that shelf. Now, I'm not even a dad yet, but I've already got, like, the shelf for Actimal and shit like that and, and, <laughs> and uh, better cold yogurts to try and lower cholesterol, you know. Even when you've got the shelf, it's, it's no good. I'll With a cr- name on dad's... Of Luke's fucking stuff. I had, um, my, uh, I, I had a cream egg stolen from my shelf only this morning by my daughter again. So it, it don't matter if you've got the shelf, mate. There's no respect. There's no boundaries to tell you. Well, my, my, my dad came up with a genius idea. He used to, like, for the orange juice that he used to have out there with dads on it, he replaced that for grapefruit juice huh. and stuff like that. And then sure. he replaced um, those actimal things for Yakult yogurts that look fucking grim. Um, but then Oof. it got to sort of adulthood and weird, and weird, uh, and realise actually they're not they're not they don't taste that bad so there's no winning. Oh no, no that's the thing you just can't. You can't I've, I've given up trying to hide things for my kids to be honest with you. I could put them in a safe and I'm pretty sure she'd get them out somehow. Yeah. So obviously your partner is very aware of how you started comedy and the reasons why you started comedy because it was very much in the midst and in in the midst of your relationship in the middle of it. So it would have been a discussion you'd have had. Tell yeah. us about how you started and why. Okay, so I <clears throat> I lost my dad. He had a heart attack, and he was only like fifty two, um, just about six months before I started. And it was a bit of a shock to me because he wasn't. I'd never seen him take a day off sick in his life. He never had a cold, and then he just went. And that was my first taste of mortality as well. Like I'm not particularly close to. Most, I mean, I love my nan, but other than that, I'm not close to any of my other grandparents. Um, I haven't got any kind of great grands or anything like that. So it was my first, the first time I had to deal with like real loss and had to actually mourn. Um, cause I was, I was best mates with my dad. He was like, me and him were so tight. Um, but when he died, like everyone kept saying, oh, you know, he was so proud of you. He was so proud of you. And he was like, I know he was, but I felt, I don't know, something inside me just felt, ah, oh, I don't. I don't deserve that. Like, I don't, I don't think I've done enough. Cause like I said to you earlier, I'm winging things all the time. 
I, I, my university degree, I, I winged that. I went and took my dissertation on holiday with me so I could finish it over there and sent it by email. So I just felt that, like, although I knew he was proud of me, I, ju- I just I just didn't feel that I I could take that. I could I, I deserved that 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 I could have that. So I thought I'll go and do something about it. And I I want I, I always wanted to do comedy. I was into it when I was a kid. I, I'd have written some material when I was like fifteen, but it was awful. Um, and I just yeah just thought you know what let's do something to make him proud and let's just go for it. And I done it. Was he a funny person himself? Yeah, he was hilarious. Yeah, he was a proper scouser. So he and everything you expect from a scouser as well, blunt as anything, straight to the point and dry and sarcastic. It was really funny. Do you find yourself doing bits on stage that you can just see your dad in? Yeah, definitely. I can see. I had a gig not so long ago where I was closing it, and it was in my hometown. And it just so happened that all most of my friends had commitments they couldn't get out of they had work or they they had other things to do and I came out of that gig and I, I, I as I was doing it I just thought every single joke I could almost see my dad sitting in the front row pissing himself laughing because I was just like this is exactly his kind of humor and that was probably one of the lowest points of my comedy career because I came out after that and I thought I know if he was here he would have been there whereas no one no one really I know it was situations that people couldn't couldn't control but um I see a lot of myself in him when I watch back my videos. That's a lot of him in myself when I watch back my videos. A lot of him. It appears to me that the bond that you have with family is is so important to you. Like, like just just from like you speak, the way you speak about your dad and about how other people then may not have been there when you might have needed them to be there. Yeah, definitely, um, definitely. I'm 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 a big family guy. I've got I'm really close to my brothers. Um, I've got two brothers and I'm like they're like my best friends. I'm really close to my mum. I'm really close to my nan, and that, but that is it. I haven't really got any other family. Um, certainly none that I speak to. So the ones I have got, I fiercely loyal for, fiercely loyal for, and that's why it hurt so much when he went. I think because it was just, it was just so unexpected. But you've done probably one of the most positive sort of things you could possibly do in, in in response to that you know obviously after getting over it and and mourning and taking the time to really sort of imagine a life without him is the first sort of stage isn't it imagine yeah yeah yourself without him and how you can actually continue without him but you know it's it's, it's you've clearly converted it into something great yeah i've tried to channel it into something positive and and i think my brother's done the same thing i mean my two brothers are extremely talented i've got one as a musician and one as an artist, and they've done exactly the same thing. They thought, right, let's just, let's just crack on. My brother's a musician's now gigging four nights out of seven every week. My brother, who's an artist, is absolutely killing it. So, so good has come from it. It's just quite sad that it took such a tragedy for it to happen. I'm just that's one thing. I wish I'd have done it a little bit earlier so that he might have seen a little bit. But that's my only regret. I think. I shouldn't regret it. I think I, it's, it's, it's always, he it always, it's always the, just even look at like, um, certain comedies, like comedy dramas where, where it takes a serious sort of event within, yeah. within like, you know, the story for, for then someone to react in a certain way. So it's the same in life. Though The best, the best comedy dramas are always the ones that are based and set in sort of reality. Yeah, you know, and yeah, what definitely. could be seen as real life, but it does take when we realise mortality really is a thing, and we only ever learn that when we lose somebody. 
Yeah, definitely. And but it is what makes us then get off our asses and do something about it and say no. If my dad died at fifty-two, I could. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want that, that to happen to my children. Yeah, exact, exactly that. That's exactly it. It's, it's when when I see what a man he was and how like like I say, he never had a day off sick. He worked seven days out of seven usually. And if he can go like that, then anyone can. If you know what I mean, he wasn't unfit. He was he smoked, but he he, he was active. He walked a lot. He 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 was always on his feet and if if it can happen to him like i said it can happen to anyone so it does it does hit a nerve it does make you think about like life choices and which way you're going if you're going the right way and you think you're going the right way yeah definitely yeah i think it's like i always say about my kids i say like my kids are four and two and they've saved my life without knowing they've saved my life because they give me something to channel everything into when i'm not doing comedy i'm doing something with the kids um and and i wouldn't change it for the world i wouldn't change it for the world that's, that's like they're my everything because that's what I had. Like I know that I was his everything, so it's all I know how to, to do, really. So, had a great teacher. Had a great teacher. The funniest things are always real life, anyway. Mm. Um, you know, there's those. Do you tell stories about your dad on stage? Not yet. I've got on. I've got a few that I've written that I haven't actually told yet because I don't know how I'd deal with it. I had a bit of an incident a little while ago where we'd done a gig and as I got on stage, there was a bloke in the front row who looked just like my dad, like spitting image. And I got on stage and I nearly had a panic attack. Like I, I could feel myself shaking because I haven't really looked at many photos of him or anything like that. I struggled with it. And then when I went on stage, I was, it was a, like a spitting image and that ruined my set. And that made me think, right, if just someone that looks remotely like him can do that to you and derail you like that, then maybe you're not ready to talk about him. But I've got some written. It's just whether or not I feel strong enough to tell them yet. I feel that this is the best, I don't know, not the best, but a way that it could be done is if you, you just draw attention to the influence he had on you. So, yeah. so certain things I'm like this because of my dad, or you're always passing the buck yeah. saying it's his fault. That you're like this or you're doing this and i think there's there's funny stuff in that because we can all we can all relate to that <clears throat> you know, my, my dad's still he's he's over 52 he's you know he's going strong and all that sort of stuff but it's yeah yeah i think i think i'm at the stage now where i realize that they're not going to be around forever yeah and that's and horrible that scares, it? it's scary yeah. it's so scary and it makes me worry even more for like my mum as well now because like She's left by herself to fend with for 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 us three, and like you say, it just gives you that strike of mortality, and it's it's harrowing. It can be, yeah. Got a tissue? <laughs> <laughs> nah, we're good. You're good. He just had to get that in there. He just he just assert his uh, assert, his assert my manliness. <laughs> so with that, all kind of the background and 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 building into this and the foundations of who you are and and what you write about and how you present yourself on stage and the dad you are to your children what are you trying to get out of the next couple of years with comedy and and not just comedy but also life with your children and your family i think i'm going at a steady pace of comedy i like where i'm going i like the kind of bills i'm getting onto of course i'm always looking to take that next step but i just want to make sure i'm ready to take them steps because i Someone right at the beginning, when I first started, said you can always take a gig too late. No, you could, yeah, you can always take a gig too late, but you could never take it. No, you can never take it too late, but you can always take it too early. And I think that's so true. I don't want to go and try and 
put my name into the promoters' mouths if they're not ready for me. So it's it's just about progressing. It's about just kind of strengthening my material, seeing if I can get it punchier, seeing if I can get onto the the, the next level of bills, um, comedy wise. And then I've got a wedding to plan with my fiance. Um, we've got obviously my, I've got my two little girls. So that'll be nice because they'll be at the wedding. Um, and that's pretty much going to consume me for the next kind of three years. I think planning that. Been dragged to wedding fairs already and sent links to dresses and and everything. I didn't no. realise quite how expensive a wedding was. If I had known, I might not have asked her. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's in the public domain. It's it's been done in comedy for about thirty years. Um, I did not do the cost of it. I so. did not do my market research. I thought oh, I will be able to cobble one together for about five grand. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you earlier you're saying like how many gigs is going to take you to buy a pair of shoes? I'll be lucky to do a wedding before I've retired. I reckon. Yeah. I think what is it? Middles at the moment, sometimes between thirty and forty quid. One of them a week, fifty-two weeks a year. Have you used the classic, the classic excuse that traditionally a female's dad should pay for? I did, I did, but I don't. I didn't. I did not go down very well. Okay, this is a touchy subject. Do you want to do you want to make a public apology now to her? Yeah, I'm Beth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I will buy the wedding. Buy the wedding. <laughs> I will buy the wedding. I'm, really, is... I'm really glad you didn't say buy the bride. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll, yeah, it'll be nice. I, I am looking forward to it. Like I say, it's just, it was just a bit of a shock. But what you haven't realised, and you may have realised, but I'm just saying, just in case you haven't realised this, um, Beth, turn off now. This next bit's going to be shit. <laughs> is that you've got the perfect excuse to gig as much as possible now because you're getting paid for it because you can say, well, it's just for the wedding. Oh, yeah, but that's the thing. It's getting paid for it, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, no, it's paid work stuff. It's just, um, I think to be fair, I haven't really, I'm still, I still feel like it's like New Year's Day. I still look in that lull from New Year and I haven't, I said to myself yesterday, Jesus, it's February. Like, come on, pull your socks up and like, book gigs at the moment I'm relying on gigs that I've been booked for because I know the promoter I haven't really put myself into any new new places at the moment so my news resolution is going to start a little bit late it's going to start from February so we're going to push myself that's good though get, get rid of the forget January just cancel oh, I see my birthday's right in the middle of January as well so I always write January off as a bit shit to be honest yeah. with you so but you, I've, I've never really not only in jest have I ever really heard someone say that, okay, so my birthday's in the middle of this, so it's going to be a bit of shit. Is your birthday's never good? Nah, it's the curse of having a... I'll tell you, Louis will tell you when he's on next time. It's the curse of having your birthday in January. Because by, when your birthday's in January, everyone's miserable, because it's not Christmas anymore. Everyone's skints, so they can't come out, and it's just... The, my birthday's on the 19th of January. Most of the time, the January sales end on the 17th. So I can't even spend <laughs> my birthday money in them. Yeah. Oh, God. So yeah, January's just, uh, sometimes I'll have a little barbecue in June and just say, oh, that's my birthday. See if people come there. Cause it's yeah. the middle of the year then, isn't it? And then that's, that's, that's great. But having a birthday in January, I'll tell you that was awful. I once had a, I once had a real purge on Facebook of friends by changing my birthday to the 1st of April to see how many people would wish me a happy birthday. And anyone that did, I deleted. <laughs> um, after telling them April Fool's and that you're not my friend anymore. Um, Good yeah. way to do it. Good way to wiggle them out, wouldn't it? I at least, I at least halved my friendships. It was, uh, 
You've got two it's left now. Approach. Two left, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> hang on a minute. There's four of us in this room. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I thought you were unfriended Erin. Sorry? I thought you had unfriended Erin. I thought you'd wished her a happy birthday. What? It's your birthday? No, I thought he'd wished you a happy birthday on the 1st of April. No, I, that was way back. I was no. about 18 then. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just a bit of spunk. <laughs> so, that's what you're doing next. That's what I'm doing next. We've got some good big things coming up with Glass Eye as well. Yeah, tell me about them. We've got um we've just booked yeah, we've just booked Jade Adams to close one of our nights in November. He's just done an incredible special um <laughs> she, for yeah. Amazon Prime. Um I saw it, it was one of the best things I've seen for years. I can't believe we've got it. when 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 we confirmed uh, it was like almost like winning the lottery to see that our little our little comedy club and it was which has grown to a size where we're booking that calibre of act at the moment. And and it's just I can't, that's that's in November, and that's what I'm looking. For. That's all I'm looking forward to already. You know, it's if anyone do, if anyone doesn't know this, um, Jade Adams is. I've had Rich Wilson on the podcast before, and hopefully Jade will come on sometime got, in the future. We got Rich opening as Literally. well. So, if anyone doesn't know, shame on you. But though, shame Jade, on you. Jade is in um, a relationship with Rich Wilson, who does an amazing podcast called Insane in the Med Marine, which is is great. Um, but Jade's just like like I say, just released an Amazon special, and to get her a. a one of your glass eye nights is, is great. I can't believe it. I, 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 we knew we knew we were going to try and get someone big. I don't think any of us realised how big we were going to go. And it's, I mean, it is down to our hard work. We work really hard, all three of us do. Um, but it's still it's still a shock to go to that kind of level and realise. Oh, hang on a second, we've gone from doing one monthly night in the back room of a pub to a hundred and eighty seat theatre with Jay Adams closing. It's madness, really. <laughs> Two years. Two years. Two well, years. Just two years only. Yeah, that's what yeah. we started because we started Glass Eye when me and Louis first started comedy to give yeah, ourselves yeah. that platform. So Glass Eye's only a couple of years old, but we go about our business quietly, but we, we, we get it done. We get it done. And how you, and so is this still is this still very much a fresh thing you want to do in the future with like the Glass Eye? Is, is there is not an expiry date for it? Nah, no, 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 definitely not. If anything, we just keep seeming to grow. We just... Seeming grow, so, seeming to grow. That's so awful, isn't it? We keep, we keep growing. There we go. <laughs> keep growing. We haven't. We we can't even see the ceiling yet. I don't think we. I think if we saw a ceiling, we'd try and smash through it. It's, we've got no plans to stop. When when you came on originally, you're at a point where you saw them both at a higher and a better place than you in terms of comedy. You mentioned it on the podcast about Aaron being ahead of you and also Louis. Do you have a lot more confidence in yourself now in terms of like you can just go out on your own and you can smash it without sort of the support? No, not just the support, but just without them being there, without worrying that you're not good enough. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel that I believe in myself a lot more now. I think now that I've got that strong 10 minutes of material that I, I know lands eight times out of 10, I feel that I can hold my own in a room. Now, there's been a couple of times when I've been on a bill and I thought, Whereas before I would have walked away always thinking I was the worst one in a bill. Sometimes I've walked away thinking, actually, no, you've done all right there. You were, you were, you were up there with them tonight. You, you held your own. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely believe in myself a little bit more. And I think that's down to the support, support I've had from, from everyone around me. And is that, has that impacted your material, do you think? I feel more confident on stage. I think when I'm delivering it now, people buy into it a little bit more because I don't seem like I'm trying to hide up my own ass. I still struggle with crowd work. I still struggle speaking to the crowd, but it's something I'm 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 trying to work on. You know, 
I think if you can address your weakest area, then you've got a fair chance of fixing it. And that's definitely my weakest area. Um, but again, I've got two guys I work with that are absolutely superb at crowd work. So I couldn't ask for anyone better to teach me. So it's, it's yeah. Do you think with the crowd work, do you, is that because you're worried because of the, the unknown there? Because you, because you write and you rehearse and you really go through your stuff. Do you think that that, that's the reason for that? Yeah, and I think that might be some of the reason. I think the other thing as well is I always think that I might go too far and lose the audience. And that I have done before, like I've, I've done a gig before where I might have just gone in a little bit too much and that put me off. And I think when I watch other people do it, I can see them kind of working out where that line is. And it's that's where I'm struggling. I, I, I don't want to put people, I want people on my side from the beginning. I don't want to go out, speak to someone, say something that everyone's gone, oh God, I can't believe you said that to them. And then spend nine minutes trying to claw my way back to the top. Any other business, Danny? Any other business? Any other business? What, just another business? Just any other business? That's Kenny's what they say at the end of a meeting. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny's calf to a wonderful breakfast. Sorry, what? I thought you said name of business. I was going to say Kenny's calf to a wonderful <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> Trust me to pick a cafe. <laughs> <laughs> now no yeah well good we've covered covered the depressing stuff covered the funny stuff banging thanks for joining me Danny thank you so that was Danny Mark what an episode that was how touching is that you know what? I never knew that he had gone through that with his with his dad I never knew that he lost his dad um, to a heart attack and that was the reason why he started doing comedy so it just shows you behind the funny man behind the hilarious person there is there is trauma there there's things that he's been through and and there's sort of the motive to the things that he does and and it builds the person he is and it's really refreshing to see how positively he's reacted to such a traumatic experience with his father and and I'm sure he's a great dad and a wonderful fiance and I'm sure he's going to make a great husband but as a comedian, he is hilarious. So go and check him out. Go and follow him on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All of the ways you can follow him are in the show notes, of course. Next up, I've got Louis Green, who is also from the Glasgow Comedy Club. So that's going to be an amazing episode too. It's very, very touching itself. Other than that, subscribe, rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to it. Thank you so much for listening and see you soon. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars' careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member, which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.